2: Hello and welcome to Past, the podcast about those who would never rule. I'm Veronica Fortune and this week's episode is Empress Matilda Part 3. Before I start this week's episode, I just wanted to share some exciting news and make a small request. You may notice I'm a little stuffy. I promise the rest of the episode won't sound like this. I recorded it earlier. Um, My husband and I, and likely our children, (laughs) have COVID. We're both vaccinated and boosted, so it's not as bad as it could be. I hope it's not too much of a distraction, and I do apologize. First, the exciting news. I'm writing my first special episode. Simon de Montfort is the subject, and it should be ready to go in about two weeks. I'll be releasing it via ACast for $3.00 and via Patreon at the Air Apparent tier and above. My plan is to release more in future, hopefully one to two per month, in addition to my normal episodes. I'm happy to listen to requests, but if there is a subject you really want an episode on, there is a Patreon tier for that. Finally, I would love it and be so grateful if you could take five minutes to review this show on iTunes and your favorite podcasting app. Thanks in advance, it really helps um, bring awareness to the show's existence. And do follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook if you can. I update regularly about new episodes on those platforms. Now, please enjoy the conclusion of Empress Matilda's story. As many of you know already, she will never be crowned. This is past, which isn't about actual kings or queens. I think the end of her story is just as interesting as the beginning. I'll start with the most exciting bit, forge ahead at the boring bits, and finish with a bit of an analysis. On the 24th of June, 1141, Matilda and much of her court were sitting down to eat the day before her coronation. At this moment, the people of London rose up and drove her out of town. (laughs) Most histories of this event even claim that the food was set out on the table and still warm, Matilda's party had left that quickly. Matilda and her forces originally headed to Oxford, one of her bases. Here she heard that Bishop Henry was besieging her forces in Winchester Castle. What happens next takes place between the 31st of July and the 14th of September. There is a lot of battle action, but since I don't do battles, I'll just be giving a basic outline. Matilda and her troops immediately set off to relieve her forces in Winchester. At the sight of Matilda's forces. Bishop Henry fled the city. Honestly, fleeing battles may sadly be a trait of many members of this family. His forces secured themselves in the second castle in the city, Wolfsley, the ecclesiastical fortified palace. Stephen's wife, Matilda, attacked the city to relieve those in Wolvesley, and Matilda's forces were forced to retreat due to a lack of supplies and poor defensive options. Robert of Gloucester was able to plan an organized retreat and took up the rearguard. His planning and action saw to it that Matilda was able to get to Gloucester safely, though she was carried for part of the route on a stretcher. Robert was not so lucky. He was captured by Matilda's forces. There is one almost minor event that deserves a mention here. John Fitzgilbert, the Marshal of the Horses, a minor nobleman whom I will refer to as John Marshall from here on was trapped in Whereall Abbey, covering Matilda's retreat. The abbey was set ablaze, and in the ensuing fire, John's eye was destroyed by melting metal from the roof. I want to share this story both to show the strength that John Marshall showed in this moment, it will appear later, and to emphasize the loyalty that Matilda could engender. After this loss, known today as the Rout of Winchester, Matilda would have known her chances to be crowned were gone. She didn't actually give up, but there was one important thing to be done first. She held Stephen, and Stephen's wife held her brother. While Stephen was the more valuable hostage, Matilde knew that Matilda could not go on without her brother. Robert refused any trade that would see him out of the war or on Stephen's side. Matilde tried to convince him to join Stephen's cause by promising dominion of the whole of England, basically giving him the power behind the throne. She would later threaten him with lifelong imprisonment, not unlike his uncle, Kurt Hose. Robert knew the kind offers wouldn't be followed through on, and the cruel ones would lead to Matilda doing worse to Stephen. Robert even stated that he was not worthy to be traded for a king. Matilda had attempted direct negotiations with Robert's wife, who was holding Stephen in Robert's place. Robert objected yet again because he wasn't a free agent. He could only act on behalf of his sworn liege lord, his sister. Finally, she was brought into the negotiations. Keeping Stephen would have been the easy option. She would have had the most important piece in her possession. However, she could not give up her brother. He was her greatest supporter, ally, and friend. He had taken care of her every step of her campaign thus far, and leaving him was not an option. She did try to get him back without giving up Stephen, there is no doubt that Robert would have been hoping she would have managed it, and that her other generals had advised that she try. Matilde would not budge. A complicated system of hostages to trade for Stephen and Robert was arranged. The details are not something to bother with, because the result is the same regardless. Stephen was returned to Matilde and his throne, and Robert was returned to his sister. Matilda would never be crowned. Though Stephen went ahead and had himself crowned once more, just to emphasize his rule. After this exchange, the war became a bit of a stalemate. There were battles, raids, attacks on markets, farms, and villages. The result was horrible for the populace, just as war is to this day. It's difficult to sow and harvest crops, with constant skirmishing nearby. And it's disheartening after doing all that work if the product is stolen or burnt in a raid. Commerce slowed greatly because roads often weren't safe to travel, and goods could be stolen at any time. There is a reason this time is called the anarchy. To someone like me, and most of my listeners, this would be unimaginable, but there are many people who live through times like this today. Matilda did request assistance from her husband at least once. The most important time was in April 1142. He would only assist if Robert of Gloucester came to Normandy to negotiate with him in person. At this point, Geoffrey was well on his way to securing Normandy, holding most of the south and west. Robert understandably didn't want to leave his sister, and he delayed until he thought the moment was right. They found out that Stephen was unwell in June, and decided this was the right time for Robert to go. Stephen had been reported to be close to death, leaving his sister... Secure in Oxford, he went to bargain with his brother-in-law. When he arrived, Geoffrey surprised him by dragging him into various battles in Normandy. Oh, Geoffrey. In his defense, he likely knew he would never be king of England, but he knew he could at least get control of Normandy, and having a brilliant general like Robert there was helpful. Geoffrey couldn't have had worse timing, though. Seems to be a family trait. At the end of September, Stephen surprised everyone by recovering quickly and attacking Matilda's location. Word reached Robert, and he took action to return immediately. He did bring one important gift for his sister with him, her oldest son, Henry FitzEmpress. While it wasn't the army she'd been hoping for, it would have been the next best thing. Henry was nine years old by now and hadn't seen his mother in three years. As a mother myself, I cannot imagine being away from any of my children for that long. At this point, Matilda would have known she was unlikely to ever be queen, and the focus of her fight would have been on securing things for her son. Having him there would have been a boost. Before she could be reunited, she had to escape Stephen's siege. Lucky for her, the weather agreed with her. In early December, there was snow on the ground, and the Thames was frozen. Accompanied by three or four knights, she was able to absail down St. George's Tower, walk across the frozen river, and sneak through Stephen's camp. More romantic stories have her wearing a white dress to blend in with the snow. Regardless of what she wore, she managed her escape beautifully. She and her men secured horses and rode to Brian Fitzcount's stronghold of Wallingford. I've mentioned Brian Fitzcount a few times in this narrative, and he is an important military leader for Matilda but not a main character in the story I want to focus on. If I liked Battles, he would feature much more heavily. I am planning on giving him, and a few other players in this time, special episodes in the future. Probably a combined who's who of the anarchy. If you're interested in this, let me know so I can start working on it. After hopefully getting warm and having a meal or two, Matilda and her men continued on to devises. Robert and Henry landed not long after Matilda had reached Wallingford, and... Word got to them before they were in Oxford. They quickly changed direction and headed to Devizes. Matilda was reunited with her son and brother. Henry was lucky. He would have two great leaders to learn from during his time in England. He would be sent to Bristol with his uncle to continue his training in all things battle. Henry would stay in England until 1144, when Geoffrey had secured control of Normandy. It would be safer for him to stay there, and he would be able to learn from his father's generals as well. Plus, the chance to actually rule a duchy, or at least assist his father, would have been a valuable lesson. I don't want to spend too much time on Henry. He would grow to be a great man, probably one of the greatest kings England ever had. But he has countless books, podcasts, and even movies dedicated to him. He did, however, have a little growing up left to do still. And his mother would make sure he learned these lessons well. In 1147, Henry and a small group of loyal knights, probably his best friends along with a small group of paid soldiers, or at least they needed to be paid at some point, returned to England. He was 14 and, like most teenagers, was ready to take on the world, at least in his own mind. He attempted battle multiple times and did not do well. This is not the adult Henry II, after all. He wasn't able to pay his men, since he hadn't won anything, and wrote a letter to his mother begging for financial assistance. Now, There have been arguments that Matilda didn't have the funds to give him and that Robert of Gloucester wasn't willing to part with any of his fortune. But I find it more likely that the two wanted him to sort things out on his own. By learning from this mistake, he would plan better in the future, cover his possible retreats, make sure his men were paid in a timely manner, and avoid getting ahead of himself. In the end, he was helped to return home by Stephen. Yes, Stephen had always been a bit too kind to be a truly good, powerful king. And this moment showed it more than any other. The young man who wanted to usurp his own son was sent back to the continent safely and unharmed. I can only imagine he didn't run this plan past his wife first. Matilde would never have stood for this. Matilde would be hit with a huge blow not much later. At the end of October 1147... Robert of Gloucester fell ill and never recovered. He died on the 31st. He was at the most 57 years old. I'm really looking forward to sharing more about Robert in my next episode. He may have been overshadowed by his sister, but they were great because of each other. All siblings should be so lucky to have such a loyal and supportive friend. Matilda returned to Normandy in 1148. She was 46, and while not old, nine years of fighting deprivation, hunger, and missing her sons would have taken its toll. Her husband had secured Normandy and Rouen as a safe base for her to continue her support of her son. With his mother in Normandy, Henry was finally able to focus on the military side of things in England. His mother managed finances and Normandy in his absence. She may not have been crowned herself, but she would see to it that her son was. She also wanted to see to it that he was knighted. It was an important step on his road to power, and one that couldn't be taken lightly. Since his goal was to be a king, it would have only been right for another king to knight him. He was lucky that his mother knew the perfect man. King David of Scotland was about 65 years old, nearing the end of his life, but he was ready to bestow this honor upon his great-nephew.
1: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
2: In May of 1149, Henry was knighted in Carlisle. His mother's work made this moment and all his future triumphs possible, but she could not be there. Matilda was doing all she could for her son. She was able to negotiate for French recognition of Henry's claims to Normandy, which was needed since it was a French vassal duchy. The king of the Franks, Louis VII, and his wife, Eleanor of Aquitaine, had just returned from the Crusades. Louis would also do nothing to prevent Henry's assumption of the throne of England. This negotiation is made all the more impressive because Stephen's son Eustace was Louis's brother-in-law. It's easy to see that while Matilda's strength wasn't welcomed by many on the battlefield, it was at the negotiating table. Had Louis been in possession of a crystal ball, he might not have been so accommodating, but ongoing war within his kingdom and his nearby neighbor and trading partner was not good for his rule. In September of 1151, Geoffrey of Anjou died. He was only 38, but having spent almost all of his adult life in battle, it is not surprising that he didn't have a long or any retirement. Matilda may not have been as devastated as a woman who had married out of love might have been, but there is no doubt she would miss him. He was the father of her three sons, and he had done much for her in Normandy. While their marriage wasn't always a happy one, It was better than many for their time and social standing. He had trusted in her assessments and had taken the risk of supporting her aims. They had worked together to make sure their sons would be great men. For Henry and his brothers, this would have been a great blow, and having their mother with them for support would have been crucial. Stephen was still in control of England, but his grasp was weakening. He had been trying to get his son Eustace crowned as his co-king, This had been a common practice in France, but was not something done in England. Norman dukes also did not have co-dukes. Due to a lack of precedent, the Archbishop of Canterbury would not proceed without permission from the Pope. Pope Eugenius III heard arguments from Stephen and Matilda's parties and decided it was best to leave things as they were. Stephen would only get bad news from here on out. In May of 1152, Matilda of Boulogne died. She had been his greatest supporter, and had literally fought for his freedom. She was also his better in many ways. Losing her would have been a horrible blow. She was more ruthless than he ever was, and no doubt hoped her son would succeed him. Her loss may play into the story I'd like to share. In June of 1152, Stephen was besieging a castle under the control of John Marshall's castellan, the holder of a castle in place of its owner. John's representatives approached Stephen with terms for a temporary truce to allow John to speak to his castellan, a first step in negotiating a surrender. John offered his fourth son as hostage to broker this truce. Stephen and his men retreated with the boy. Once Stephen's men were gone, John quickly refortified the castle with both men and supplies and locked the gates. When Stephen returned, he would not surrender. It would have been Stephen's right to kill the hostage, a boy of only five at the most. Stephen threatened, and John responded he did not care about the child, since he still had the anvil and hammer to produce even finer ones. While I do agree that John could have produced more sons, he already had five, and would have at least one more. It was highly unlikely that he or anyone else would ever produce one as fine as the child he had left with Stephen. No, John's son wasn't Albert Einstein. It was William Marshall, however, possibly the greatest knight of his or any age. We know that William would live into his late 60s, so for us there is no suspense. But John Marshall wouldn't have known that at the time. Stephen could not find it in himself to kill the boy, and actually took him back with him and cared for him. I truly believe that all parents throughout history love their children, just as parents today love their children. I have no doubt that John was bluffing and would have been devastated if his son had been killed. I would like to think that he knew Stephen's temperament well enough to know that he wouldn't kill a child. I can find no evidence of Stephen intentionally killing children. He was a bad king, but not due to cruelty. Just ineptitude. Matilda's years of struggle were about to pay off. In late July 1153, Stephen was finally forced to negotiate with Henry. The original terms were brokered at Wallingford, in the Treaty of Winchester, Henry agreed to allow Stephen to spend his remaining years as king, and Stephen would name Henry as his heir. There is a sad footnote for Matilda here. Stephen would publicly adopt Henry, so he would be labeled as his son, and hence the crown was passing to him that way. I doubt Matilda cared, as her son would always use FitzEmpress, not Fitzstephen as his super K. He knew who had fought for him. She would also help him rule his vast empire while Stephen's reign would be known as one of the most destructive in English history. The final blow was coming to Stephen. Between the early negotiations of the treaty and the final signing, his son Eustace died. At the time, his death was blamed on divine retribution as punishment for sacking church lands. Most likely, it was caused by a seizure. Eustace's death would secure Henry's reign. There would be no William Clito, or even a Matilda, for him to fight, though his sons would keep things entertaining. Stephen's younger surviving son had no interest in ruling England or Normandy and just kept to Boulogne. Stephen and Henry signed their treaty in November of 1153. While Matilda would not rule, her efforts had ensured that her son would. And that has to be worth something. She would not be there when he was crowned. He needed her to govern Normandy, but he would wear one of the crowns she brought back from Germany. He would be joined by his pregnant wife, Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yes, She and the King of France had their marriage annulled on the grounds of consanguinity, but really it was because she hadn't had a son. She would give birth to Henry and her second son two months later. Yet another example of women being blamed for things related to pregnancy that were not their fault. Henry could not have picked a woman more like his mother for his spouse. And while they would battle, literally at times, she was a good choice. Matilda spent her later life doing exactly what would be expected of a queen mother. She mentored her son, having learned from her time in battle. She assisted him by ruling Normandy when he was in England. She even interceded on behalf of her second son when he was causing some problems. She convinced Henry not to invade Ireland, at least while she was alive. Matilda died on the 10th of September, 1167, at the age of 65. Only Henry survived her. Geoffrey had died of unknown causes in 1158, and her youngest son, William, had passed in 1167, supposedly of a broken heart. William's death would be one of the many parts of the greatest scandal of the 12th century, the murder of Thomas Beckett. Matilda was buried at Beck Abbey, winning her argument with her father, who wanted her buried at Rouen Cathedral. In examining the life of Matilda, it is important to put her in her time, but to remember that many of the things she faced are still faced today. Women in the corporate world are regularly sent to sensitivity training when they act strong in boardrooms. While women are often presented as the more emotional sex, there is no question that the emotions presented when one's sporting team loses can wreak havoc on entire cities. I don't want to make this a man versus woman discussion. I just want to point out that many of the things said about Matilda in Derision would have been used as compliments to men in the same position. Even Matilda was complimented for her work because she was fighting for her husband, not herself. In Matilda, Empress, Queen, Warrior, Catherine Henley points out that it would be more than 400 years before England had a queen regnant. Scotland beat England in 1286, if Margaret, Maid of Norway is counted, or in 1542, if only considering Mary Stuart. She points out that the only reason this occurred was that all the other choices were also women. In order of claim based on Henry VIII's will, Elizabeth Tudor... Catherine Gray, Mary Gray. Jane Gray had been executed at this point. Finally, Margaret Clifford. Henry had excluded his older sister's descendants, but the first in that line were women as well, Mary Stuart and Margaret Douglas. It wasn't until the late 20th century that even progressive European monarchies put daughters and sons on the same footing. Spain, Liechtenstein, and Monaco still use male preference, though Spain's current king only has daughters. The United Kingdom didn't even change their laws until 2011. The fact that the same insults are being used almost 900 years later means there's still a lot of work to do in the realm of equality. Second, what was Henry I thinking? When he made his barons and churchmen swear oaths, he seemed to think that was fait accompli. He just acted as though everything would work out fine. He seemed to completely overlook his own claim to the throne and how he literally beat his brother to it and eventually imprisoned the same brother. He either truly thought his men would be scared of him after he died, or he expected to have longer to sort things out. He didn't give his son-in-law any indication of his future role in England or Normandy, which caused the rift right before his death. Geoffrey may not have been the most amazing man in history, but he was ambitious, young, and he knew he could do more. He had managed to contract a marriage well above anything he could have expected. Now is being sidelined for no one. Henry was still doing it all himself. I'll say it again, iron wills are only useful while you're alive. Finally, Stephen. He is a study in reaching beyond your grasp. He would have made a great general instead of a horrible king. He made a huge mistake the day he decided to go to England and persuade his brother to help get him crowned. Instead of being spoken of as well as Robert of Gloucester, he's derided. He doesn't even get to be put among the worst kings. Richards II and III and John usually get that honour. Even Charles I had the decency to get executed, and James II was properly overthrown. He couldn't even manage that. He just stayed there, middling as everyone he loved around him died. He should have made the choice to keep his oath and support his cousin. Having control of Boulogne would have helped her to protect her Norman borders, and she and her husband would have supported him. He could have gone on crusade and shown he was made of much stronger stuff than his father, which he was. Supporting another when you lack the skills to do it yourself isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of self-awareness. Matilda wasn't perfect and lacked the ability to read the room, but she knew what she would be great at. Stephen didn't know what he didn't know. Working on these three episodes about Matilda has been amazing. She's truly a great character, nuanced and strong. She did lack some political acumen, but overall, she would have made a great leader. Her assistance to her son shows this without a doubt. I really enjoyed my time with her. My secondary source for this episode was Matilda, Empress Queen Warrior by Dr. Catherine Henley. I strongly recommend this book to anyone interested in Matilda. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you'll be back next week when I give Robert of Gloucester the episode he surely deserves. Thank you for listening to Past. I can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at pastpod. That's P-A-S-S-E-D-P-O-D. Please feel free to email me at pastpod at gmail.com. I have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com forward slash pastpod.